Well, if I haven't met you yet, I'm a pastor at CTK Bellingham, but I, I live on top of the hill here in Ferndale, you know, Church Road, and I might arm wrestle you about who has the better view, because we got to, can see like those mountains and Baker, we don't have a water view, but anyways, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, one way you can tell a true Ferndalian is when you say the words Thornton Overpass. And if there's a little gleam that comes to the eye and some drool comes down, that's how you know you live in Ferndale. Uh, well, today I'm going to be sharing some of my personal story. We're going to be in the book of Genesis. And, you know, in Genesis chapter 1, it talks a lot about the goodness of God. And in my story, some of my story has been about, like, I know that God is good. But I've had a really tough time experiencing his goodness. I've had these blocks in my life to experience and really immerse myself in the goodness of God, even though I can say intellectually, yeah, sure, I know he's good. Now, being in the book of Genesis, what I'm going to ask you to do is, is just for about a half hour, set aside the typical things that people talk about or maybe even argue about with Genesis chapter 1. So for a moment, I'm going to ask you to set aside dinosaurs and the age of the earth, and is it six literal days or is it figurative days? And just because because that argument, I think, has distracted from something that's really beautiful inside. So I'm not saying that those discussions aren't important. I think they're really important. But for a moment, could you set them aside? Because what we're going to see in Genesis chapter 1, hopefully, is something that's going to allow you to not just know about God's goodness, but experience it today. So we got to jump in, and we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And we got that on the screen, and it's going to say, it says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, for the last year and a half, I've been learning Hebrew, and it's been such a joy. I feel like learning the original language of Scripture just opens up things that are not available unless you understand the original language. So the very first word of the Bible in Hebrew, it's this. It's on the screen. The very first word is burashit. Okay, everybody say that with me right now, burashit. Look at you fluent Hebrew speakers. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so it's actually a compound word. Okay, so if you take the b off, that would be in. What you're left with is reshit, which is normally translated beginning. So in English, in the beginning, in Hebrew, it would be in beginning. But I'm going to argue in this sermon that this first word of the Bible has so much more than just the first in an ordered list of things. And any time you go beyond the simple meaning of a word, you have to prove it. So I'm going to try to prove something to you. I'm going to ask you to not just take my word for it, but really discern if what I'm arguing for has merit. And ask you to really test me in this. So, so yes, the word 
Bereshit or Reshit has the meaning of the first in an order of things. But it just doesn't mean, it doesn't mean just beginning, but it's also the best gift. Because where this word is used in other places in scripture, it would be like the highest offering is given, or the first fruits from the produce, or the greatest gift. And so I think if we understand the very first word of scripture through this lens, not just the beginning, but God's greatest gift, that I think it not only changes the tone of Genesis chapter 1, but I think it alters the whole way that you look at scripture. I think it alters the whole way you look at all of history. So let me try to unpack this word. In order to do that, we need to talk about sandwiches. Okay, are you with me? And I'm not just talking like an ordinary sandwich. I'm talking about like a very good sandwich. Like you've just worked to bake the bread. You raised the corn. You ground it into flour yourself. You baked it in an oven that you made out of your own bricks, right? And so you have this beautifully thick sliced two pieces of bread. And then the mustard isn't just the yellow French's mustard, but you've stone ground your own mustard, right? With the stone that you collected. It's really, and then the lettuce, friends, the lettuce. You've worked for the last three months in this free-range garden. The lettuce is not put in any kind of cage, and right, you, you're taking these leaves and you're, you're gently laying it on the on the sandwich. You get a picture of the kind of sandwich that I'm talking about. Now the turkey, you went to eastern Washington, you hopped, you hiked in for 30 miles, and you harvested the turkey the way turkeys get harvested. We don't have to go into details. <laughs> the bacon, okay friends, the bacon, actually you just went to Costco. And he got the really thick slice. Okay, it's good enough. Okay, so now you have this sandwich. And here's how it works in my house. When you take the first few bites of the sandwich, right, it's mostly crust. And then you're working your way into the sandwich. And then eventually, every sandwich has what you call the money bite. It has everything. It's the best bite. And it's at this point when I've made the sandwich and I'm about ready to eat the money bite that my wife says, can I have a bite? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, okay? And then you have a choice. If I love my wife, I'm going to give her the very best of what I've made. I'm going to give her the money bite. And the Hebrew word reshit has this meaning, that what is God doing in Genesis 1? He's giving to us his highest, his best gift. He's giving us in creation the money bite. That's what this word is about. And if you look at the story of Genesis 
through this lens that what God's giving us is the very, very best, doesn't that change the story of creation? It's not just this ordered series of events and on day one it happened and day two this thing happened and day three it's like, no, what he made was good. He's crafting something that's beautiful. He is making the rocks, right? He's making the water. He's assembling what's beautiful and amazing. And then he goes to humanity. It's for you. The best. So we could say, what is creation? It's the gift that is very good. It's the gift that's very good. And six times in Genesis chapter 1, God said it was good, 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 it was good. The seventh time he said it was very good. In Hebrew, tov, 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 tov. The seventh time, tov ma'od. Very good. Tov ma'od. It was very good. God is giving us his very He's giving us his highest. So we can say that creation is the first miracle, sign, and wonder. In fact, it's an ongoing sign and wonder. I was just up at Mount Baker yesterday. Anybody been on Ptarmigan Ridge? Right? It's a sign and a wonder when you're up there. Two weeks ago, I got to summit Mount Baker. It was amazing. It's a sign and a wonder. God's creation is an ongoing miracle. Beautiful. Psalm 19 says this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. That when you step outside and you see the starry sky or that sunset or that view of the water, okay, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. It's proclaiming God's goodness and his great gift to us. So we are surrounded by a constant message everywhere we go all the time of his goodness and his love. But here's the problem. We struggle hear that message. So it's something like this. When I was a kid, I would go to the food pantry, and, and our pantry honestly was normally really full, but I'd go to this open pantry, and I'd go, there's nothing to eat here. Why? Because the Captain Crunch was gone. <laughs> But I was looking in front of a full pantry, and I'd say, there's nothing to eat. I'm starving. Any of your kids do that, right? <laughs> Happens all the time, okay. Now listen, a public service announcement about Captain Crunch. The first two bowls of Captain Crunch go down real good, okay? The third bowl is from the pit of hell. <laughs> Don't do it, friends. Don't do it. If you want to, you're feeling pretty good at the end of that second bowl. Third bowl's going to get you. But listen, if you're in creation, you're surrounded by a full pantry. You're literally in what the Hebrew word would say is reshit. You're in the greatest gift, the highest offering. 
but then it's so tough for us to receive his goodness. Now, why is this gift so tough to accept? And it's because, honestly, friends, we have a broken receiver. It's hard for us to receive the goodness of God because our receiver is broken. Now, this is where I need to share a little bit of my story. So I was adopted when I was, uh, when I was three months old. I was adopted by uh, a really loving set of parents. My mom and dad really loved me, a good family, lived in a good home, but I never felt like I belonged. I felt like I was a stranger. I didn't feel like I belonged in my home. I didn't feel like I belonged at school. I didn't feel like I belonged at church. When I was at church growing up, if I wasn't in the worship service, I was hiding in the bathroom stall because I didn't. There was something in me that was broken. I didn't feel like I had worth or security. And all of this came to uh, a, a pitch last summer. And I had three really difficult trials back to back to back. It started out with a really close friend and mentor just packed up and left and was gone. Didn't say why. And I really struggled with that. I was so angry. I was like, why? I got curious about my anger. And, and I was like, hmm, I wonder why I'm so angry about that. And I traced that to abandonment. And that got traced all the way back to my adoption. And I'd been wrestling with feelings of abandonment my whole life. And for the first time, I put my finger on it. Two weeks after my mentor left, my very best friend in the world was murdered. You might have heard about it in the news in Fayetteville. I was in shock. Two weeks after that, my dad died. So last summer, my whole world is turned upside down, and I'm in spin cycle. And the word that popped out in all of this was abandonment. And for the first time in my life, I faced that. Now, when you go through difficult things, you have three choices. You can hide just deny it. You can pretend. But when you're doing that, you're distancing yourself from reality. So that's option number one. Is you hide it, you cover it over, you deny it. Option number two is you numb it. And there's a thousand things we use to numb our pain. And sometimes it's substances. Sometimes it's distraction. Sometimes it's honestly like our phone, anybody, right? Like, I have a backgammon game on my phone, and there's a difference between playing some backgammon and numbing, right? Like, if you're getting into hour number three on that stupid backgammon game, it's not just playing anymore, now you're numbing. For the first time, so you can, you can hide and deny you can numb. The third thing is, is you can face and name. And last summer, I faced and named my feelings of abandonment. 
And that honesty allowed me to step into the presence of God in a way that I never have before. And I received the love of God in such a powerful way. Why? Because I was joining him in reality. That's his space. That's where he lives. God lives and exists in reality. And so if we're distancing ourselves from reality, we're taking ourselves away from the place where we can experience him. And for 52 years, I was running away from those, those, that sense of abandonment. And last summer was tragic, but last summer was also a way that I encountered God's love in a unique way. And it blew me away. Psalm 33, 5 says this. The whole earth is filled with the steadfast love of God. It's all around us. It's everywhere all the time. His love is constantly surrounding us. But when we have a broken receiver, it's difficult to receive that love. Like the pantry is full, but we're starving and living in scarcity. So for me, it was fear and abandonment that broke my receiver. For some of you, it's anger. For some of you, anger is like that thing that you suppress, and it's like the beach ball that you're trying to hold under the water and just keep it together. Anybody know what I'm talking about at all, right? The thing is eventually going to pop up, but it's exhausting trying to hold that under the water. For some of you, it's shame. In the garden, Adam and Eve hid in shame. So those are the big three. It's fear, anger, shame. And those things break our receiver. And it leaves us detached, insecure. And the path back into God's presence, into experiencing his love, is through honesty and naming that emotional pain and stepping into it and embracing it. And not hiding and not numbing. All of this last summer came to the fore for me. Let's jump back into the story. We got to get back into Genesis. See, what I'm doing, I'm proving that this first word of Scripture is more than just the first and the beginning of things, but it's the, this reshit, it's this, this greatest gift that God is giving us. So let's just take a run through Scripture. We're going to do a mad dash through Scripture starting with the very first day of human existence, right? There's the six days of creation, and there's brand new humanity, and the seventh day was the day of rest. And so humanity's first day was a day of delight in the Garden of Eden. Eden means delight. God is like, I've given all of this to you. Hey, I got a good idea. Let's just enjoy it. The first day of humanity is enjoying what God had been given. And then fast forward to the tree. What happened at the tree? It's interesting. God was giving and giving and giving and giving, and all of this is from you. The fall is when we took God's best gift 
was that he's giving all of this goodness, but in the fall, we took. We took the fruit. We seized it for ourselves. If you fast forward in the story of Cain and Abel, it's a strange story, but it makes a lot more sense if we look at it through the lens of this reshit or this highest gift, because Abel brings... He brings his very best. He brings this, the best from his flock. And Cain is like, here, God, here's like, uh, I don't know, I got some wheat. Abel brought his reshit, his highest gift. Cain didn't step into that generosity. In the narrative of Abraham, God promises Abraham, I'm going to give you a land now, the land that God was giving to Abraham was, was globally strategic. That promised land was the center of all of Europe and all of, uh, of Asia and all of Africa, funneled through this teeny little piece of land that God was giving to Abraham. He was giving Abraham the best. That land that empires would fight over for thousands of years, God said, I'm giving it to you. It was the best gift. It's in line with the first word of Scripture. And then he tells, God tells Abraham, now through your family, all of the families of the earth will be, what is it, friends? Blessed. It's another sign of his giving that God didn't just want to have a people in this one place enjoying his goodness, but he wanted that goodness to overflow to all of the rest of the world. That's what happens with his reshit, his best. It's not just for me, but he wants to so fill my life that it overflows to the people around us. In the story of the desert, God is leading his people to this, back to this land after slavery. He's saying, look, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. When they get to the edge of the promised land, they're right on the river Jordan, and Joshua says, look, this land, it's not just tov, it's tov ma'od ma'od. It's very, very good. So it's like there's this unfolding in the garden. Creation was called tov ma'od, very good. The promised land was called very, very good. There's an unfolding of God's goodness. And then, once they get in the promised land, they're going to set up this temple, and he's establishing this really weird set of rituals, right? Anybody just get baffled by some of that Old Testament stuff? Like, I'm supposed to kill this what? And slaughter the what? And then I'm supposed to, what do you want me to do? God was asking us to system of gifts and sacrifices, the best he instructed them. Take the best from your flock and bring it. Take the first fruit. He was saying, become like me. I gave you my reshit. Now you give me your reshit. He's training humanity to become like him. You give me the way that I gave to you. Beautiful. We're going to fast forward to the New Testament. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his best. He gave his son. 
as an offering, his highest gift. The son, then Jesus, what does he do on life or on earth? He gives his life. And when you give your life, what else could you give? You've given your best, your best gift. So the father gives the son, the son gives his life. The father's then like, okay, look, I've given you all creation. I've given you my son. What else can I give you? I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost. He pours out the Spirit. He's given us everything. And then he gives us the church as a bride to his son. Do you see what this father is doing? He's giving, he's giving, he's giving, he's giving. He's giving everything. All of this is unfolding from the very first word of Scripture. In the best gift, there's a father who's giving everything. And then lastly, at the end of the age, we've got to pull up Daniel chapter 7. At the end of this age, the kingdom is going to fully come, right? All of this is going to wind down. Evil is going to be vanquished. His kingdom is going to fully come. And then Daniel 7, 27 says this, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. What's he doing with this kingdom? He's going to give it to you. All of it. All of it. This whole kingdom that's going to unfold spills out of that first word of Scripture, his reshit, his highest gift. And this kingdom will be given to you. Mind-blowing. I have a friend who um, had a pickup truck that was really super dirty, hadn't been washed or cleaned for a long time. So she invited her grandson over, and they worked for hours to clean up this truck. Like, detailed it on the outside that the wheels are, like, super shiny. I don't know how you make that. You spray the stuff on, and then the wheels are, like... And then, like, inside, fully detailed, like, you know in that coffee cup holder? You know that really gnarly stuff that kind of... Got, right? What is that stuff? Anyway, she's like getting all that stuff. And like, like the truck was beautiful after they worked on it for hours. And then she takes the car keys and she goes, here you go, it's yours. And she gives the truck to her grandson. They worked together to make it beautiful. And she gave it to her grandson. That's what's happening with this kingdom. All of history is God wanting to partner with us to make something good and beautiful and eternal, and then he's handing us the keys, and he's saying it's yours. That's his reshit, his greatest gift. So he's given us all of creation. He's given us his son. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us as a gift to his son, as the, the bride, and then he's going to give us all the kingdom amazing there's nothing left that the father wouldn't give that's his goodness and yet still we have blocks 
still we have blocked to receive his goodness. So we're going to turn to that prodigal son story, and, and I want you to look at it as the prodigal son returning to the generous father. So let's look at that famous parable of Jesus. He has the two sons, and the younger son says, Dad, cash me out. Give me the inheritance. He was basically saying, I wish you were dead, so give me the stuff that I would get when you die. It's a massive insult. But the father says, okay. And the younger son goes off to that far distant land and squanders it and ends up in the pigsty. And this younger son wastes the goodness of the father. He thinks that his life is out there and consuming more. He doesn't know that the goodness of his life is to be at home with his father and eventually senses and remembers that. So the younger son is returning from that far distant country and he's pretty beat up and he's in pretty rough shape. And the father's been waiting for him. Been waiting. Friends, there's parts of you that are that prodigal. There's parts of you that are in that far distant country. The father is waiting for those parts of you to return to him because that father ran out to embrace the younger son. And listen and tell me if you can hear the reshit in this, the best gift, the highest offering. The father says, bring the best robe. Put a ring on his finger, some shoes on the feet, and kill the fatted calf. Not like make the, the tuna mac, right? No, kill the fatted calf, the best one, the highest offering. I'm not knocking tuna mac. I love it. But he's going, no, this is the best meal. Why? Because the father loves the son. It's his rashit. Now, the older son, there's a party going on in the house, and the older son is coming in from working in the field, and he's going, what's that smell? Like, looks over at the father's house, the Traeger is going, right? And then the older son looks in the pen and sees an empty pen where he'd been raising a fatted calf. And he goes, what's going on here? Older son is calling that slave over and saying, what's happening? And the servant is like, your younger brother came home and your father's response of the older son, fury, resentment. I've been slaving away for how long? Has he given me a fatted calf for me and my friends? Nope. He's resentful. There's parts of you that are older son. There's parts of you that are religious, manding, and God, don't you see the work that I've been doing for you? What have you given me? And I love in this parable, the father runs out and goes out to the older son because he loves him. The father says, everything that I have is yours. Everything that I have is yours. Doesn't that remind you of what we've just been talking about in that whole narrative of Scripture? 
everything that the Father has, he's given to us, his reshit, his highest offering. The Father is inviting both the younger and the older son to live in the house and experience the goodness of God. They each had a broken receiver, and it was the Father's desire to restore them so they could enjoy his goodness. And that's the rest of our lives. That's the restoration that God wants to do in our lives to restore those broken parts so we can receive his goodness and his love. I told you that I had really amazing parents. My adoptive parents loved me so well. But I was living as an orphan. And some of us are living as orphans right now. There's some orphan part of you that just really finds it hard to receive God's love. Some of that is of your own making, choices that you've made. Some of that is that harm that's been done to you that's no fault of your own. So I'm going to invite Jacob. Would you mind coming up? What I want to do is give you an opportunity right now to have a personal encounter with this God the Father who loves you, the Father who wants to give you everything, who's offering you his highest gift, his greatest offering. And all of us, we have some damaged receivers. After 30 years of following Jesus, I had a major breakthrough last summer. And I hope some of my story is giving you hope because some of you might need major breakthrough right now. We all have blocks and brokenness. And so the healing starts with naming, naming the shame or the anger of the, or the fear. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now, and then we're going to take communion together. So here's what I'd like you to do. Would you just close your eyes? And I want you to squeeze your fists as tight as you can, as hard as you can. I want you to imagine what you're holding in your fist is that brokenness that's keeping you from receiving the love of God. Maybe it's an old, old fear. Maybe it's abandonment. Maybe it's a shame. Maybe it's anger, but whatever it is, just squeeze your fists as hard as you can, tighter now. Keep them tight. Father, I thank you that you know, that you know what each of us holds on to that's our brokenness. I thank you that you see each one here. Thank you for your great love. Friends, keep those fists tight. And right now, take a moment 
and inside your heart silently name to God what it is that would keep you in that brokenness. Name what you're holding on to. And I want you to now picture God's hands underneath yours and just slowly, slowly, slowly open your hands. Slowly. As if you're releasing that burden into his hands and you're letting go. Slowly. You can trust the Father with that pain. You can trust him with that fear and you're letting it go into his hands. Father, thank you that we can trust you with our brokenness, that we don't have to hold on to it ourselves. That you're restoring our lives. One day you're going to complete that, but today you want to restore some of that brokenness. Friends, now would you turn your hands face up as a sign that you want to receive from God your fullness, his fullness. That you want to experience his goodness right now and his love. And Father, we're before you open-handed saying yes to your receipt, your best gift, your highest offering that you would give us. We say yes to this beautiful creation, we son that you've given us. Yes to your Holy Spirit that you've given us. We say yes that we want to be a bride given to Jesus and we say yes to the kingdom that we'll receive. And finally now I'm going to say the greatest gift we're going to take in communion the son has poured out his life for you and so he said take this is my body this is my blood given for you his highest offering on the cross his receipt And I invite each of you now in your time when you're ready with those open hands come and take communion and receive this gift that's for you. This is the body of Christ given for you. This is his blood poured out for you. So come and take when you're ready.